0: <clears throat> Let's see how this is picking up Robert tell me something about yourself
1: um, Today I had a breakfast sausage egg and cheese sandwich thing. It wasn't very good Where did you um, get it from the GDC thing here? That explains it.
0: Hello there Hi, how are you? (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, Hey, everybody, I'm Steve Gaynor, and you're listening to Tone Control, conversations with video game developers. Uh, Today's interview is Robert Yang, uh, professor at NYU and creator of a bunch of super interesting games, uh, Cobra Club, The Tea Room most recently, um, and the Radiator series of Half-Life 2 mods. Uh, How's it going, Robert? Uh, it's going good. Uh, how's, your, how's your GDC? We're recording this much like the one that I just did with Bennett Foddy at uh, GDC in San Francisco this year.
1: Oh, GDC's been super, super exciting because I think there's a lot of a lot of stuff happening. Usually I think of GDC as something kind of like uneventful sometimes, hmm. or I always kind of think I know how it's going to go, but this year there's, you know... Um, lot of talk about uh unionization and stuff and, i've seen some of that yeah and i talk to talk to a lot of AAA devs and then half of them are like oh yeah i'm burning out and this is terrible and yeah. it's like there's i think there's just a lot of more interest in like how we're taking care of ourselves as an industry
0: right yeah just the the actual process and sustainability of doing the stuff mm-hmm. yeah i mean for a long time you know, crunch culture was a total thing or it was just assumed it's like, Yep, yeah, you're gonna be working hundred hour weeks, you know, if you're making games and I think that it seems like we're Approaching some kind of critical mass of being like, we need to learn how to do this better. You know.
1: Oh yeah, totally. And even as even as like indies, I think we often work ourselves really hard. Like I was at the Jason Rohrer talk.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that too. Yeah, uh, it was good.
1: yeah. Where he was talking about like productivity, but also like yo, also like dial it back and try to moderate yourself and maintain some quality of life.
0: So. Yeah, his talk involved basically his process of how he's gotten to the point where he does fewer hours of work per day, but they. Have very like clear limitations to them, and then he showed through like data basically that he had from his process that he's more productive now than when he was doing more hours because it has those like boundaries to them, and you know, okay, this is the time I have to do stuff, so I'm actually going to get it done and not just like waste half of that time. And th- you use more time, and the amount of time it takes out of your day is the thing that burns you out. And yeah. if you do the same amount of work in double the time. If you can find a way to actually make the time match the work, (laughs) you're going to be a lot healthier, I think was kind of the point of this talk.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know about you, but that, like, resonated with me, because I feel like often when I, like, sit down to work or something, I'm often, like, performing the work like right. that, the appearance of doing work right but and then I'm like stressing myself out but I'm not actually doing
0: the work right so
1: it's like it's kind of worst of both worlds yeah. right I'm it's, not doing the work and I feel stressed it's out. it's
0: being in this middle ground of sort of it's it's like an obligation thing You're like yeah. I need to be sitting in this chair oh wait if I'm not actually being productive I could just like cut it off and do something else totally. with the time but it's really hard it's really hard um, so anyway, uh, yeah, GDC has been interesting so far. Yeah. yeah, you did a talk at the at the Level Design Summit that I also did a, a talk
1: at. Yeah, right after your talk. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, which was cool because like, Nina and I did a talk about the process of designing for the, the nonlinear story segments of Tacoma. And it was very kind of like post-mortem-y and, and stuff. And then your talk was just like... Here are the fundamentals of how to light the space mm-hmm. and some techniques to use, which was really cool. That's what I really love about the level design summit is it has that variety of of perspectives on like what does it mean to be making levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're also I feel like
1: in in the whole grand scheme of GDC, we're a little bit less fluffy than some of the other tracks I think because. I think with level design there's just so much emphasis on like the concrete thing right. you actually made. Yeah. Uh, which which I like. I like that like kind of specific like craft focus a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know no one's there really to advertise their game. They 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 they're taught. You're there to talk about work. Yeah. And I like how we're all kind of on the same page. Yeah, I
0: feel like there's got like, to be a lot of that in tracks that I don't go to. Like, there must be some really just functional, like, programming tracks. There's like, here's how to optimize. Oh, the
1: AI track? I can't even... The graphics and AI <laughs> tracks, they, they make us look like <laughs> dilettantes or something. Because we They're, are. We're scrubs.
0: We are scrubs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Robert, you have been making your own stuff... On your own terms for like a for what i feel like is a really long time you i, I knew you as a modder originally yeah it, what did you release any half-life 1 mods or just have you started in half-life 2 stuff
1: uh i actually started pretty kind of late in the half-life one cycle okay um but uh i did work on a lot of half-life one stuff okay um i did Probably the biggest thing I made for Half Life One was an unreleased mod, as most of them are. Right. Um, it was called Half Life One Night Watch. Yeah. Uh, and that was like a big mod with a bunch of people from Natural Selection community. Oh, okay. Um, and then just I met a lot of great level designers. A lot of them went on to go in the industry, and then I, I guess I derailed and did yeah. not go into the industry. <laughs> but it was really great working with all those guys.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure you're in it.
1: I mean, I I feel like on the periphery. I don't know. I think uh, the game academics often have like a chip on their
0: shoulder But you're but you're also a you're a productive academic you release titles.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, I I make stuff Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so I feel good about
0: it. Yeah, but well, so mm, okay, so so you So let so I'm interested to hear how you got into modding and then how that led you to where you are now but like what was your early experience with games in general? Like, how did games become a thing that you wanted to make your own version of? Uh, I
1: played a lot of Counter-Strike as a kid. OK. Uh, were, and were you, like, competitive level? Were you, like, no, hardcore? No, I was
0: firmly middle of the pack on pub servers. I Which probably means that you're exponentially better than I was. <laughs> my my oh, KD ratio I mean, was not acceptable <laughs> by I was, any means.
1: I was what they called a spray and prayer. <laughs> I would choose, like, a submachine gun mm-hmm. and then just run in there and then just spray and pray. I didn't really like aiming. I didn't really like the whole aiming stuff.
0: Right, because those, sure. those are the guys that really get, like, Pro or when you can just like snap a AWP headshot yeah. off in like half a second. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could never do that. I was more about like trying to surprise people or something. <laughs> I liked that part of the counter. Surprise!
0: I'm holding down the trigger. <laughs> yeah, like surprise!
1: Oh, uh, I'm gonna throw a grenade right at your feet and run towards you, or so, you know something like that. <laughs> this guy's crazy.
0: <laughs> um, so that was like when you were like a teenager. You were just big yeah. When I was in uh, junior high. Okay. Have you been like a PC gamer? The like. Through your whole upbringing, or did you start on like Nintendo games?
1: Pretty much. I yeah. I was never really a Nintendo kid. Yeah. I was more yeah. like a Sega kid. Oh, we really? a Sega okay. household. Oh
0: uh, yes. Um, but of course. <laughs> I, I know somebody. Our 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 level artist Kate was a. She came from a TurboGrafx-16 family. Oh, I so. Love
1: Kate. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs>
0: Doesn't it somehow? <laughs> <laughs> so so you were a Sega kid, but you were really like a PC.
1: Yeah, I felt like um, I I was just drawn to like first
0: person kind of stuff really early on. I felt, and that's really everything. Everything you've done has been first person stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I just feel like it's such an interesting mode of playing games, and like we've still only kind of like scratched the surface of what we can do
0: with it. Yeah, for sure. So you you were playing a ton of Counter Strike. And did you start out by making like Counter Strike maps? Or oh yeah, totally. I made I okay. made my school. Every, everyone has either the school or the mall. Those are your <laughs> two
1: options. <laughs> school mall, like your bedroom or your house or right. your apartment, wherever you grew make, up.
0: Make a rat's map of your bedroom. Make a rat's map of your bedroom. I
1: didn't do that. Okay, <laughs> okay. But but I did do the school. But then um, you know this was already after Columbine. Right. So at the time I was already kind of conscious, like oh. This looks bad. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Right. Um, so but that was fun, you know, and it was like about like making levels for my friends and right. we like play together yeah. and stuff.
0: Play them on a LAN or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what what else were you doing like as a kid around that time? Was that like your outlet of creativity? Or had you always been somebody who like made stuff? Like when I was growing up, I was always like drawing and making comics and stuff. And mm-hmm. then I kind of there was just a lot of making crap. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, the comics and Gone Home, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, um, So were, were you like, uh-huh. were, were you doing stuff that you kind of, was this just part of like creativity that you did, or was it specifically like you just loved Counter-Strike, you want to make stuff for it, and then you like went from there? I think
1: it started out as like wanting to, Impress my friends, yeah. or or design maps where I had the advantage. You know, like, and <laughs> I put secrets in them so I could like fuck everyone over. So, All right, well, like, that's amazing. Um, you know, you know the main reasons why
0: you design maps. Right. Um they just an invisible button that when you click it, you get the most powerful weapon. Right.
1: I like <laughs> love like trap
0: maps. Like those are my favorite genre. I would say. Well um, were you trying to make maps that were like aside from giving you an unfair advantage that otherwise were like balanced good multiplayer maps or are they like weird gimmick maps?
1: I mean you start out just wanting to do like, I'm gonna make a huge, I'm gonna make the huge Counter-Strike map I've always wanted and wished was in there. Yeah. And then gradually as you become integrated with like the map community and start talking to people and stuff, you're like, oh no, there's like accepted norms about how a level's supposed to look and craft and then everyone just wants to make Dust 2 in the end a little bit in the end that's kind of what I started kind of going into more and then and then I actually kind of, and then we stopped playing Counter Strike. Yeah. And then I learned that Counter Strike was actually a mod, right, right, of some game called Half Life. <laughs> like, what is this game? And then I was like, oh, you can like make little like story worlds with this. And yeah. then I got more into single player
0: stuff. Yeah. Huh. That's so funny. So you didn't even know that that Counter Strike had come from Half Life until after the fact. No. Oh, I think
1: that's I so like I bought Counter Strike and I was watching, and then I was like, oh, there's this, like video on the CD-ROM or something. Wait, what is this? Oh, there's a game called Half. life and there's like scientists <laughs> with ties? Who cares about this? But, but then I tried and I was like, oh, this is actually really cool.
0: Yeah, because that's so interesting because it, it's so opposite from my experience just because I was like the kid who had a subscription to PC Gamer magazine. And mm-hmm. so I had seen like, you know, the previews of Half-Life. And I like whatever, asked for it for Christmas or something, you know, and then like, oh, Counter-Strike is this mod for it. And so I don't know, just, and it totally makes sense. That there was a like Counter-Strike specific community that was yeah. just like Counter-Strike is a thing. Half-Life is just like the medium right. for this other thing. Well it's like Dota players, like that they're not like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a mod for Warcraft three. <laughs> yeah, know? but you like, buy Warcraft three just to play Dota. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um So you so you so you started out at that point you were like part of uh, like a modding community, like a forum. Did you did you Did you develop, like, friendships with people in the forum? Like, do you still know any of those people? Oh, yeah. Yeah?
1: I literally, at GDC, I just met. A guy that I've known for like ten or fifteen years.
0: Wow! For the first time. Yeah, in oh, person. Cool. For the first time. <laughs> uh, and you were making Counter Strike and Half Life maps yeah. together.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Andrew Weldon, if if you're listening, Andrew Weldon uh, he goes by Kung Fu Squirrel on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I think he's he he tweets
0: at me with some frequency.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, he's a tweet. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Andrew.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that he had that background uh, with like that's such yeah a funny way connection. back when yeah huh. that's cool. So so yeah, so so you were doing like, you know, counter strikey stuff. Yeah, what 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 were you originally thinking you wanted to do with making like single player stuff with Half-Life? I don't know. Cause, because hmm. the the thing about, you know, your work is it's like gone along a really just sort of weird path. like it's just it's yeah. such an interesting progression and I feel like like I wonder if when you were starting out and saying like oh i could use these tools i've been using to make counter strike maps to like do story or like you know experiential stuff did you start from wanting to do weird things or were you sort of like oh i could like make some encounters with the military commandos or whatever
1: no I, yeah i wanted to make soldier battles and right, stuff yeah. i kind of wanted to recreate the half life stuff cuz i was like such a half life fanboy after yeah. i played it yeah yeah um, so i was like working very much in that like fan mod kind of mode where it's like Okay, here's more of Black Mesa, here's right. another area of Black Mesa you didn't explore
0: yet, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, that's cool, that's awesome, like, I mean, I did that professionally, like, when I made, like, DLC for yeah. Bioshock, it's like, yeah, okay, take a stand established... mod yourself, <laughs> cool. I mean, like, that's the thing, When I when I was making that DLC, I was like... This is basically just fan fiction, but like it gets the stand. But well, you start earlier than that, right? You did all the fear yeah, fan fiction uh, too. Yeah, yeah, balance, and right? I did, and I made like a little like single player, like you know, offshoot, standalone thing for that. So yeah, working in a an established set of boundaries and being mm-hmm. like, oh, what if there was this cool variation on it? That that is a totally good place to, to kind of like, it, it's a good place to to have less of the possibility space open to you. You know, it's like, oh, I'll make some more stuff like the rest of the game, but it'll be cooler. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually what we're realizing at NYU with how to, like, teach game development and game design and stuff. That we have have classes that are, like, about, like, creativity and, you know, do, you know, represent your own voice. But then to teach craft, you have to be like, okay, don't worry about your voice right now. Focus on building this house right as best as you can, so when we do that, we actually like the fan fiction mode is actually kind of useful because you're just to make good fan fiction, you have to study the original thing really well right. and then that actually builds up your skills of analysis and stuff really yeah, good
0: for sure huh so we're so at the point that you started making like so when did, when did it get weird? <laughs> when did you start being like I can do some like different stuff with with the single player mod stuff I'm doing? So
1: I was doing Half Life One mods and then um, and then after that I started doing uh, Half Life Two Source Engine stuff. Yeah. And then I joined a project called Black Mesa Source. Oh, okay.
0: Um, oh, I didn't, my God, okay, I didn't realize that you worked on Black Mesa Source.
1: Oh, yeah, like, like relatively early, I mean, I had a 15-year Right, it, cycle, it ended so. up coming out, I think. I was in the next, yeah, it came out. Um, I was maybe in the first five years, Okay. and then I was kind of frustrated with, like, I, I, I kind of felt like it wasn't going to be finished. Yeah. I felt like I, it was a repeat of my previous mod experiences, making a huge team mod that never finishes. Right. So I kind of lost faith in the project a little bit, even though I was supposed to be working on it and keeping yeah. the faith. Yeah. So I kind of dropped out, as a lot of people do on large mod projects. Yeah. And then I was wondering, how do I just finish something? And then I thought, like, I should just make something really small. Yeah so then i was like okay how do i constrain myself yeah and i gave myself a constraint of make a make a mod or level or something single player short single player thing that only takes place in a 512 by 512 room yeah source that's that's like inches so that's like right 20 feet i don't i can't do multiplication 40 feet by 40 feet something like that (laughs) um so that's like really small but I thought if I could finish something small, then I could gradually get bigger and bigger and
0: bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. So so what you're saying is Black Mesa Sources failure to ship is what led to all of your like gay sex games eventually. <laughs> it was like... Oh no, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you can put it that way, you know, <laughs> Gordon Freeman, the
1: Lambda symbol is technically a gay rights symbol. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. So, so it was so it was all there. It was
0: in that deep lore from the beginning.
1: Also, in my, like, head canon, Gordon Freeman's definitely gay. Sure. Because, right, like... He never says he isn't. And then, also, he never says he isn't, and, I don't know, Alex is just, like, throwing herself at him.
0: She's, and make, she's making some assumptions.
1: I, I feel like she is. She Alex is definitely projecting a little bit of a heteronormative world, mm-hmm. and um, as the cipher entering Gordon Freeman, you know, I wasn't entirely comfortable with that, so... <laughs> you know, I decided to make... I guess mods where um, you are enacting some kind of like gay character. Yeah, I guess. I, I feel like that's
0: what I know. That's that's what I. I mean, that was it, was that the first Radiator mod? I, it seems like it would be because it was just like, it's two people like sitting at a table. in, yeah. in a room, right? So yeah, I, I played that. I don't know, around when it came out, I guess. I think I must have read about it, on like Rock Paper Shotgun or something. Um, so yeah, like um since that's where really it feels like the trajectory towards the rest of your work starts, mm-hmm. how would you describe what the original radiator mod was? I
1: would say it it kinda came from actually like that was around the time I actually kinda came out okay. and also had my first love with mm. like a guy. So yeah. that's actually how when old were you at that time? I was Nineteen, I think. Okay. Uh, and 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 I was having all this, all these teenage feelings and sexual anxiety and all that. And then I thought, oh, what if I connect that part of my life with this other part of my life? Yeah. And then as it's maybe like a therapeutic kind of thing. Yeah. And it and it actually did I think help a little bit. Like it helped me understand like the story of my life. That I was like, trying to tell myself a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. So so can you describe, just for people who haven't looked at it, just sort of like the basic premise of
1: oh, what right. the mod was? Um, so this mod, uh, the level is called Polaris. And in Polaris, you're in a small forest clearing, and you're stargazing. And uh, there's another guy with you stargazing. You're going on like a stargazing date, and he's describing all the stars you see. And then it's like a weird puzzle game where you have to mm. like see the stars and the constellations and try to figure out what he's talking about. Yeah. And um, that was like a thinly veiled metaphor for my real life relationship, kind of where it's like I didn't know what this guy wanted a little yeah. bit, so okay. I felt like I was trying to like decipher what he meant and divining meaning from the stars a little bit. So, um, and then, and also the formal joke of it is that it's like a 15 or 20 minute level where you're just standing in the middle of a room and staring at the ceiling. Right. So I thought that was kind of funny too (laughs) and like kind of experimental in a way. Right.
0: I mean, it's, it's intentionally subversive of what most like first person mods would be. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. So, so you were, I mean that's, that seems like a really I think that's probably in a lot of ways why it was notable at the time cuz how long ago was that now like that was like 10 15 12 years 10 That was like 2009 Oh, maybe? is that recent?
1: Okay. A I'm I'm a young I'm relatively young.
0: Yeah, in, yeah. In industry. But so it was like less than 10 years ago but we're we're getting there.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean it was it was kind of contemporary with a lot of the experimental art mods coming right. out of the source scene like uh Dear Esther and Stanley Parable right, and all that. Right. Right.
0: But I do think it was still um it felt notable for being more personal in a more direct way, yeah. I think, than than some of the other mods that you just described, for instance. Um and you know, like having yeah, having actual like Queer issues and and representation be part of a mod for Half Life 2 was just like not a thing. <laughs> you know, no, that's like, very unusual. It, it was unusual. Did you feel like when you were doing that, were you like, this is weird, should I release this? Or were you just like, this is what I'm doing and this is cool and I'm putting it out in the world?
1: Um, I thought I wanted to release it, well, I didn't really know what I was kind of doing, because yeah. I was in school or whatever, I was studying English, yeah. and I didn't really know what I was going to do in my life, and then I was, I was thinking, like, oh, should I like, go in the industry, try to become a pro, and break in or something? Yeah. Um, and, but then there was also this, I guess, this other direction pulling me, like, like I, I love games, I still play games where you, like, shoot people in the face and stuff, those right. are awesome. Um, but then I also felt like I didn't wasn't super interested in making those as much as I liked playing them and thinking about them Right, so I felt like I was trying to figure out what the trajectory in my life was gonna be and And then I started doing that to figure out Yeah, like uh, this is also around the time where a lot of people are talking about oh our games art, right right yeah. like starting 2006 Ebert is like <laughs> games are not art and this is why blah blah so this is all very like of its time. Right, of the moment, sure. Yeah. So I felt like, yeah, I'll I'll contribute to this conversation. And there's also this thing called indie games. What are those? Right? (laughs) So I thought I was kind of like contributing a little bit in my
0: Yeah, yeah, because that was also, yeah, like 2008 was what? When like Braid and Super Meat Boy came out, right? So it was sort of that like Xbox Live, like... That 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 early point in like oh like mm-hmm. independent games can be released commercially and be like a big thing for sure. Well, I mean, since your games are so personal, and since that that particular mod spoke so much to the moment that you were in, I mean, was that I don't know for you was that the end of a, a long road where you did you had you kind of like been putting off coming out for a long time. Like, did your family, I don't know. Like, it, it seems like like you're right there. It seems like something very public to do if right. it's like soon after you've, or like kind of contemporary with you coming out to people that, you know, you knew in your life or whatever. I
1: mean, I was, I was kind of conscious of, I, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Uh, which is funny considering what I am now but uh, at the time I was very conscious like oh like I shouldn't make this too gay <laughs> like
0: and and now you're like I should make this too gay yeah and now and
1: now I'm kind of the opposite yeah, but, yeah. I mean at the time you know I wasn't that certain or confident about what I was doing and yeah. so and I also didn't want to like scare off a lot of the um, people from yeah. the level design community that I had known, because, sure. you know, I was also kind of, I guess, coming out to them a little bit, too. Right. So, I, it, you know, these games weren't really sexual or anything. They right. were kind of just, yeah, kind of just artsy in a way that was similar to a lot of
0: other stuff coming out at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's um, certainly much softer than <laughs> than, than what you've, you've done more recently. Yeah, I mean, obviously that I changed sense. my mind about <laughs> what I should do. Right. But no that's 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 so interesting like so from I mean I know the public reaction since you know I played it and read about it mm-hmm. and stuff. what was it like for people that you knew to play it because it was very different from other stuff that you had made and probably gave them like insight into you more as a person than other stuff they might have played of yours I think I was.
1: Well, I was inspired a lot by um, there. There was a modder. His name's Adam Foster. You know, okay. he made the Minerva mods. Oh Do you yeah. Those? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember liking how uh, Adam was like weaving all this like narrative and stuff. It was a surprisingly narrative-heavy Half-Life Two combat fan mod kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in a way that wasn't really common. So I kind of took him as the, the template where he was kind of. Self-releasing in a very confident way, and like presenting himself in a very specific way. Yeah. Where I felt like, okay, I can do that, but in this slightly different direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, wait, was that your question? I don't even remember. I don't know. I just, about.
0: I just wondered if, like, if you had any interesting like conversations with people after they had played it.
1: Oh. Okay. You
0: know, like people that you knew who then played your thing, and they were like, "Oh, huh?" You know, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, some of my close,
1: some of my Counter Strike buddies played yeah. it,
0: and then they were like. Uh oh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's because cause it seems like you're like probably you you went into territory of making things that are very interesting, uh-huh. but maybe not necessarily interesting to people in the community that right. had, had immediate access to them, yeah, you know, or or that we're just looking for like a cool level to play, uh-huh. etc. You know.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, there was a little bit of resistance, like uh, the. Uh, there's a fan site called Planet Philip. They're kind of like the biggest. Um, well, now they I think Thank they're God called Run Pink live, Shoot. Okay. But they were kind of like they are. Like, they were like the Half-Life 2 like fan archive. Like right. you know, there's
0: Doom World for Doom or something. Right. Well, and there used to be like Planet Quake and Planet like Planet <laughs> right, right. X Planet, was like a whole.
1: thing. I, I guess that's why I called it Planet. Huh? I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But But I remember on planet Philip. He didn't want to include my maps He was including literally thousands of other ones and he was like You're doing interesting work, but you're not making the work that my audience and mission is about yeah, and then I felt kind of I actually had like arguments with him about that
0: yeah um well that seems like that was a preview of, <laughs> the, yeah, of, of yeah more of your later career as well because i've seen you talk about the the challenges with getting your work onto various platforms now not, oh, yeah, not like mod work yeah. but your your you you know more recent now i'm work. censored by multi-billion dollar international corporations yep. instead of one guy <laughs> <laughs> so is, i moved up i moved up yeah I mean what is Amazon if not for Planet Jeff? <laughs> Planet Jeff. Yeah, they should just call Planet Jeff. <laughs> uh, they will be calling Mars that when he buys it.
1: Not Naf Elon gets there That's first, true. Planet Elon. <laughs> Planet, Musk. <Ugh>.
0: Planet <laughs> um, Musk. So so you were in you were in damn, you were in college at that time, I gather. You said um, you were studying yeah. English? Yeah. So did you end up like getting an English degree?
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. And up uh, and my mods kind of end up taking, like, a literary turn. Like, uh... Right. My radiator mod, the last installment, had a lot... Emily Dickinson, because I thought it would be funny if you were playing against... Emily And Emily Dickinson was, like, a nemesis in the <laughs> game. She would have a shotgun, and she'd, like, hunt you down, and... <laughs> okay, I didn't play that one, but... That's yeah, that, that was, that's kind of more of the later output, yeah. but... Um, so the idea was it would be, like, a horror thing, because I thought... Emily Dickinson, her, her, like, lyrics and stuff were really, like, dark, kind yeah. of. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is like a horror game. So the idea was you have to hide from her, but the only way you to know she's coming for you is if you're hearing her. Mm-hmm. So then you have to listen to her poetry, and she's just reciting her poetry <laughs> over and over and over. And I thought it would be kind of funny to force gamers to memorize Emily Dickinson's poetry <laughs> to, like, be good at this game.
0: <laughs> See, I think, I feel like there's a lot of that within... What we do. Like I was just talking to, you know, Bennett uh Foddy about yeah. his work. His work is very trolly. It's kind of jokey mm-hmm. in in its relationship to the player. I think there's this there's a certain level of um what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Just sort of uh I don't know, combativeness, I guess. Like I certainly thought about that when I was making Gone Home. Yeah, that's just like deal with it gamers like guess what you're gonna walk around and like listen to this teenagers diary and that's gonna be the game Mm -hmm. and hope you like it you know but like there's there's that thing of I think when you're working within the form and you know the audience and you can see the potential to do something weird with it there's something that's attractive Mm -hmm. about Intentionally kind of going counter to expectation when you have the opportunity to, and yeah certainly something like here you go, gamers, <laughs> listen to Emily Dickinson poetry to avoid the enemy is <laughs> pretty good
1: yeah I think of I think that's what's been really good about like this shift towards like streaming and let 's play culture because mm-hmm. I feel like now as designers we're a lot more conscious about how players are responsible for like half of the game, half the meaning of the game, right? right. Or, or at least half, right? Yeah. right? I mean, so, they both
0: activate it and then interpret it. So it's, yeah, it's like a- And perform it, right? right. So like the audience is the art a little bit. Yeah.
1: And um, yeah, I guess we're like part of that shift towards like more awareness and dialogue with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what what so you did, you did the very first Radiator mod and you kind of did it almost like an episodic thing like you added more Yeah, I tried. everyone was it. doing episodic yeah. stuff. So I was like I can do that yeah, like, I, gotta then... my, I gotta get my I gotta get my last one out before Half-Life episode 3 releases yeah.
1: <laughs> I was good for the first two. I released one in July hey, and then like one in August And it was actually a monthly thing and then I totally fell off the wagon <laughs>
0: <laughs> What was the second one?
1: Uh, The second one was a gay divorce simulator because this is also um, oh I guess this was in two thousand eight because Prop Eight was happening right and that was on my mind and then I was in Prop Eight in California was the gay marriage uh, ballot
0: initiative and. Um, And that's that's where the two characters are sitting at a table across from each other and there's like dialogue Yeah, with like a marriage therapist, right? Okay, so that's the one I actually played I didn't play the one with the constellations, but I did play the one with the like marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, cool So yeah, describe that just a little bit more. Yeah,
1: so um, in that one um, you are sitting in a therapist room because I thought Gay marriage was like everyone was talking about it but what no one's talking about gay divorce yet. Right. <laughs> so I thought it'd be like ahead of the curve like that. Yeah. So this is a gay divorce mod where you and your husband are like fighting and arguing about stuff and then it goes into this kind of like John Malkovich mode okay. a little bit yeah. and then you kind of go inside your own head and in your head there's like a warehouse of memories right. and you have to like repress the memories so that you don't make progress in the therapy session, because <laughs> you hate your husband and you don't want to make, you don't want to like give him a win, kind of. Right. Or you can totally fail to repress the memories, and then you end up making progress in the relationship. But then the game is saying, you're failing. Why are you failing? You, yeah. This is bad. You're letting your husband win. What is this? <sighs> so I, I wanted to play with like outcomes. Like yeah. the game is giving you mixed
0: messages as to what's winning and losing. right. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, see, I, I, having played it, yeah, 10 years ago now, I didn't remember all the specifics about it, but that's so interesting that you were playing with win conditions and how win conditions are messaged and what the actual, like, you know, emotional or moral mm-hmm. win condition would actually be regardless of what the game is telling you. That's, that, I mean, because, pardon me, there's so much of that in games around that time and after that time where they're like, mission objective kill everybody and then they're like Mm -hmm. you're bad because you killed every how could you (laughs) kill everybody and you're like well it's I don't know like the only thing I can do is shoot things and you told me to I don't know like fuck off I guess but like actually doing that in in a thoughtful way that's like you as the character feel like it's your goal to like stop this dialogue and like score points right but you know that actually the healthy thing that your character doesn't want to do Mm -hmm. is actually, like, the better thing. And, like, the game basically being from the perspective of an individual, I don't know, that's a really, really really fascinating paradigm.
1: I think when you take killing out of it, that thing, oh, you did the thing you weren't supposed to do, blah, blah, becomes a much more interesting thing. Like, take, like, Stanley Parable, right? That's if it was about like the spec ops kind of thing, oh, you shot them and you shouldn't have and you were hallucinating or whatever, it wouldn't have been as interesting, but um, then it becomes an actual thing about like free will and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So did you do anything else with those? I mean, you put them online. Were you you doing that? I don't know were you doing that for reasons like because for me, I'm sort of like okay Like were you still figuring out at that point? Like that's a that's weird like portfolio material if you were thinking you were gonna get into Oh, no, it was weird portfolio material (laughs) Were were Um, you thinking you would like apply to game studios with your with your your subversive story mods? I, I actually interviewed with Valve oh yeah? And, uh, in, in like 2009 At GDC. Or at GDC really?
1: 2010. <laughs> oh, 10, cool. Uh, interviewed with Valve. Huh. Uh, I graduated and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? Uh, okay, I might as well try to like get in with this weird gay divorce mod. Yeah. So then uh, Robin Walker actually sat down and played that uh, gay divorce yeah. thing all the way through. Huh. Um, That's cool. And uh, and then at the end of the interview, he was like, okay, this is you know like really well crafted, well done and stuff, but we wouldn't, I don't know if we can, like, hire you, because you don't, we make games about shooting people, (laughs) you know, like, you can't, or shoot fighting monsters, you know, like, we can't, like, put you on Half-Life 3 or something. So his advice was to make something more uh, more conventional, more normal. Sure, sure. And when I heard that at the time, I thought, I was, like, really angry. I was really... Um, I felt like the, the uh, like my dream job had just like kind of rejected me and yeah. kind of like who I was a little bit and I was like oh fuck Robin Walker burn all my photos of Robin Walker <laughs> but um, but in the end but I think he was actually right yeah. um, uh, that wasn't my trajectory—that wasn't where I should have gone. Yeah. So uh, it was good. I probably even if by some miracle I was hired about or got into the industry, uh, I probably wouldn't have been happy there in the end. Yeah. So instead, I went to art school—the <laughs> total opposite
0: of going to the game industry. Did you like go for your your uh, masters? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's so. That's so. That's so funny. Yeah. Because like, what a different world it would be if if they you know if they had been like. Sure. Let's give you a shot, and then you're like, I don't know. I guess making Counter Strike maps for them, possibly making Counter Strike gun skins. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> um, so, what did you what did you go to art school
1: for? Um, I went for uh, design and technology at the Parsons School for Design, in New York City. Uh, same it, school that uh, Zach Gage went to. Okay. What is does, What is that degree? Design and technology was, or is, uh, it still exists is. Uh, It's kind of just about making art and stuff with technology in general so hardware stuff uh, Making apps making games sometimes making like tech tech like technological like installation stuff doing stuff with Arduino robots You know basically anything related to technology and like some kind of artistic side to it. Yeah, uh, that's what it was about
0: So what did you do there during was that like a two-year program? Uh, yeah, it was okay. two years. So, so what, are, what what kind of projects were you doing when you were at Parsons?
1: I thought I was gonna like learn how to make robots and stuff, but then I ended up kind of falling back. I ended up learning how to code, and then when I was coding, I realized that that was actually giving me freedom from the modding framework. Right? When you make a mod, you no one can play it unless they download or buy that original game. Right? Yeah. So, then I was learning how to code using Unity, actually, in those two years. Um, That was pretty early in Unity's lifespan. 2010, 2012. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I got on that Unity train, and then I was like, wait, I can just zip up this game and upload it and then people can just play it yeah. for free. Like, anyone like, <laughs> anyone can just play it. And I was just like, oh wow, this is so much like this is so much better. Right. Um in terms of distribution. Right. So then I got on that train and then I started
0: making a bunch of Unity stuff and talking to more indie people. Cool. Did you start speaking around that time? I feel like I I I played one of the early radiator mods mm-hmm. and then I think kind of years went past and then I, I think I started seeing you speak at, at GDC and kind of became aware of you. Well, and also you've been uh, maintaining your uh, design and design culture and level design blog for like that entire time. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So like seeing articles also that you would put up either that were like critiques of things or just writing mm-hmm. them because, you know, I was doing my level design focused You had a blog, blog too. at the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, our company is named after my blog, <laughs> uh, which I is I thought named, it was named after like a level being full. It is, which is what the blog oh, is named okay. after, because it was a level design of, okay. blog, right? So it's like, what's a good name for a level design blog? I'll use this nice sounding piece of level design jargon. Yeah,
1: Fulbright's a good name.
0: Thank you. Um, and so yeah, it's just stuck ever since then. But we were kind of at that, around that same time, we were like, Writing articles and they were like whatever getting reposted on the Gamma Sutra, you know, yeah. blog and, and stuff like that. So I think that we were in similar, you know, like headspace as far as like critiquing or thinking about you know the level design of big AAA games we're playing, and also thinking about what else can games do and you know making our own stuff around it. So I, yeah, I think I started seeing you at 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 do, doing conference talks and your talks have always been really really good and very distinctive because you cover oh, things particular uh subject matter a lot of times mm-hmm. and also you're very um what's the i mean you you animated no yeah sure no i, I mean you oh you're, ouch okay <laughs> i mean I, well an, i don't think of animated as being good like, it's a bad thing it's it, i'd say it's neutral I okay, w I wouldn't okay. say that if you see a speaker and you're like, They were so animated, people are like, Oh, it sounds awesome. Oh no, yeah, that um, can sound, that can be a bad thing. But you're just no, I just mean you're uh you're you're I mean, you know, you're like passionate about the stuff you're talking about. Right. And so I think that that, that uh Level of kind of drive behind how you present your talks, mm-hmm. along with what you're talking about, was um, always really cool to see. When well, I, I
1: have good company. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think we were blogging at a time when blogging was also
0: much more important
1: to like video game discourse. Right, there was an explosion of everyone blogging. It was all where
0: all it was where the conversation was happening at yeah. the time. Yeah now it's just happening during people's twitch streams I guess. <laughs>
1: like oh. yeah i don't know where the discourse is now it's yeah, so it's just hard it's, to it's it's 280 it. characters at a time uh if uh. you're lucky it's on twitter yeah
0: otherwise you have to wade through video <laughs> yeah exactly it's in people's youtube essays mm-hmm. um so what so yeah what describe those years for me it seems like you were like Com- you, like sort of investing more in your own games that you were making that weren't mods anymore, mm-hmm. and you were like getting out there and delivering talks and, and mm-hmm. stuff. When like how did how did you start to get into that? Like what, what was the first time? What was the first conference that you like did a talk about your stuff at? Oh god, that was
1: that was at a conference at uh, SVA uh, School of Visual Arts in New York, yeah. and that was uh grad student conference called critical information where you like present about a critical media studies project so i talked about my game that i made and it was in and it was an academic conference and at the time i didn't really understand what that meant yeah um so i was kind of shocked when i went there and some people were just they had like written up like a 20-page paper and they were like reading from it huh and yeah. that's how you present, like, that's the academic convention. You just read from a 20-page art, like, academic <laughs> jargony paper. And I was just like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so then when I went on, I just opened up my game and I started playing it right. and talking about it. And then everyone afterwards was like, oh, yeah, that was, like, so much better. <laughs> and like a terrible (laughs) academic jargon thing and i was like like, yeah you guys should try it sometime (laughs) yeah i was like oh yeah i just used human words and said (laughs) what i meant and stuff so that was weird Uh, i thought i might toy with being like a academic-y academic yeah and then that experience realized oh no maybe i shouldn't be an academic-y
0: academic that's not gonna work for me. yeah i was talking about that with with bennett as well he was like yeah i never wanted to be an academic and i'm like got bad news for you. (laughs) You're a professor at NYU. He did, right? He He, was the whole Oxford professor thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I think the distinction that you're making is that, like, both of you guys are, like, working academics. Like, you're teaching and making work, not, like, writing writing a paper and then reading the paper in front. I think
1: it's safe to say if the NYU Game Center didn't exist, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be academics.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so what took you from that to, like, speaking at you know, GDC and and kind of further out into the the game, you know, game specific conference world.
1: Um, I well, GDC is uh, expensive, Turns as out. many of us may know, and but one really easy way to get a GDC pass for very cheap, for zero dollars, is if you speak yes. at GDC. <laughs> um, so that's actually a really um, important incentive, I guess, to get. Yep. Uh, marketplace of ideas or whatever <laughs> at GDC so uh, that motivates a lot of people yeah. to no, 100% condense I, their work into a presentation and figure out how to deliver it
0: yeah no that's um, I went from I, my, my first GDC is I came on a press pass which we scanned oh, nice. via idle thumbs. We were like, nice. we are a website, wink, and got I was, press passes. I was always trying to get RPS to give me a press pass. Oh, right, because you did the uh, the Level With Me series. Yeah, I wrote uh, for them a few times. Right, and, and we did we actually did one of those together years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I paid my own way once, which was good, because that was where I got my... That's where I first talked to the guys at 2K in. So I got a job out mm-hmm. of it, so that was worth it. And then nice. after that, it's always been either speaking or being nominated for something which is great it's still not like within reach for a lot of people no, but sorry. if you have go ahead and go ahead and submit a talk <laughs> if, you, if you have an interesting angle and like cuz i mean they review the the talk pitches i think pretty pretty broadly like it's not like you have to be a super established person or something it's oh, more like yeah. do you have something that they might think the the audience would find valuable and you can get also there's a lot of different kinds of talks. Now there's like various like indie soapbox and like micro talks and rants and you know, yes. like different ways to be giving a talk aside from just like expound for an hour on your most recent shipped title or whatever.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think they've I think uh, GDC's actually been good on this front about trying to have more diverse speakers mm-hmm. and um, I am noticing like more inclusive like speaker lineups and stuff so you know even yeah again even if you're not like a super established developer if you have an interesting project or something interesting to say totally pitch something yeah
0: yeah so so yeah I, I think that um yeah you your talks have like you're an interesting person to listen to because your talks are 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 of such broad topics. Like this year, you gave a talk about the fundamentals of lighting a level. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last time I had seen you talk, I think, was at the same Micro Talks that I was part of. Yeah. And you did like a five-minute piece about Keep your games. running into each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 but, yeah but you yeah. did a five-minute five talk about your games being censored off of big platforms for sort of like inconsistent reasons. Yes. And, and, and then there was another talk that you did in a prior Level design summit uh, uh, session that was just like basically like the history of level design as like technology and In like a field and right stuff. Yeah. yeah and so like that's that's really it's very cool to see someone do talks that give such a f- a full view of the different things that you have perspective on you know. Like, I think that you, it's just interesting. I feel like if you watch Robert Yang's talks, you, you get to, people, I, I feel like I know you better through your talks than most oh, other wow. people that I see do do talks. Because you talk about all these different facets of what's mm-hmm. affecting your work and what's affecting our work and, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think, I feel like everyone kind of has so many sides to them, right? Every person is complicated. And yeah. I think uh, you just have to figure out you just have to articulate those different sides and bring them out and then spend like a hundred hours trying to figure out what you 're actually saying. This is where the English degree actually comes in handy because i 'm used to just writing and writing and writing and then deleting most of it until I just have the good part right yeah, um, yeah. so i 'm used to thinking of writing as work, and um, that 's useful for preparing a talk yeah. and. Um, yeah, writing is you kind of thinking out loud to yourself a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's, it's good training. And I would encourage anyone. Any, I think anyone can do this. Just writing is work. Just down and do it. And then I, I think there's a really good, I think there's an Ernest, Ernest Hemingway quote about this where his advice was write a short story every day until, for like a year, until you have like 365 stories, and most of them will be bad, but you'll have like 10 good stories, right? Because it's impossible to write 360 bad stories. (laughs) So it's about, a lot of it is luck, a lot of it is like talent or your circumstances, but uh, a lot of it is also kind of just work. Persistence,
0: sure, yeah so you were yeah you were finishing your or you were going further through your degree and it sounds like yeah you kind of like rooted yourself back into your game stuff through Mm -hmm. that so was was some of your work that you released like projects that you did for school there um
1: no actually (laughs) um i mean i experimented a lot in the uh, the grad school program I like did into some board game stuff oh, okay um, my only only my most dedicated fans <laughs> know about my super obscure board game work <laughs> um, I also did um, I also did a big project called uh, souvenir that was with uh, two other collaborators I met at uh, Parsons that was also with uh, and then the music was actually done by an artist named Arca Okay,
0: uh,
1: Arca is now like a super big musician who like huh. who's who recently rose to fame by uh, being the producer for Bjork Oh, okay Recently on on her most recent album. yeah, on, wow on, okay. her most recent albums, but, and, but he's also like a really well-respected artist in his yeah. own, right? Yeah. but we actually had him collaborate before he was super famous right um he was just a student at NYU <laughs> and we, and then he he produced really he was super talented and made cool stuff um but and he made super great work for us and yeah. i think i think that's a good lesson i would say for most students and stuff i think with students you should look to your peers and stuff and try to collaborate with your peers. Don't worry about, like, collaborating with, like, a famous person or something yeah. because your peers will be famous people. Yeah, later. Right? Build up your actual <laughs> relationship with the people you know. Yeah. And that, that's – I'm, I'm going to be old and irrelevant in, like, 20 or 30 years. <laughs> you know, you should make young friends now and then you're going to pave the way for future generations of art. Yeah. So,
0: um, I mean, I think that, that everybody helpful. everybody ends up feeling. I think maybe, Jesus. Sorry, we're so okay. Quick disclaimer: half, yep, yeah, whatever. Almost an hour into, uh, <laughs> so we're recording this in a speaker practice hall at GDC. So if you're hearing a lot of reverb, it's because we're in an almost empty like presentation room. There's
1: like a hundred empty like chairs seats, right yes. here.
0: And, and one very patient AV person who's been assigned to the to the room who is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> our audience of one. Um, but also I, I've hit my knee on the dumb like folding table multiple times now. So sorry What's... if there's some, some audio uh, interference on the podcast. It's a bad table. It's not your fault. I agree with you and I appreciate your support. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I think that everybody, or at least I, totally feel like the people who are my my most important, you know, support group within the professional games industry are the people who I started doing stuff with really early. Yeah, and they, you, if you're if you're listening to this, you're listening to tone control on the Idle Thumbs network and like you know Chris Remo and Jake Rodkin and Nick Brecken and, and the the UK guys who are involved in the Idle Thumbs website. Super, you know, I, I started writing for that website in 2004, like when I. First, finish. I was like finishing college. I I, I I wanted to stop making my zines, but I still wanted to write oh, stuff about games. You can still make zines. Oh, I know. Zines I, are
1: coming back. Oh yeah, too. yeah, yeah.
0: Zines and cassettes. Yeah, right. totally. But, uh, <laughs> but but that said, so like those you know those are guys who now like you know work at Campo Santo and like you know have introduced me to people that I know in the industry. They run the fucking world. <laughs> oh my god. So like you know it's it's not. You're totally right. It's about the community that you build early because those people that share your interests and are actually like doing the work are the ones that are going to have the dedication to still be there 10 years later when you're all doing the thing. But mm-hmm. now it's like professionally. <laughs> yeah. And also you, you like
1: know and like, and love each other before you become like famous or important or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, it's like an actual like genuine relationship you can have with them. So right.
0: yeah. Well, it's funny cause I feel like in this interview, You've kind of taken a few uh, opportunities to be like and that's a good lesson kids <laughs> and, and, I'm a and, teacher, and you are I'm an educator right no, yeah. no, but that's that's the thing is i it, it, that's another aspect of what you do is that you're a developer making your own personal stuff and you're speaking publicly, but also you're an educator as your actual you know like as your full time yeah. um, thing did you how did you end up there after finishing at at Parsons? Um, did, finished Parsons. Did you go straight to like
1: teaching after Parsons? No, I did like a few months where I was like puttering around.
0: Oh, trying to figure a out. A few months counts as straight too. I, I meant there wasn't like years in between or something. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay. okay.
1: Yeah, like like a year or less. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? What do I do with this random art degree? Yeah. Um, what... How am I going to pay these student loans that Parsons has benevolently bestowed upon me? (laughs) Um, And then uh, I do what a lot of students end up doing, which is uh, adjunct part-time teaching work. Yeah. Uh, Because that's just, uh, you already kind of know how school works. Right. So you're not having to, like, adjust to a weird climate. You already kind of know how it works, uh, especially with uh, teaching in the program I was just in I actually know like the weaknesses of the program right and then you I like pitch a class or two like Oh, hey, I when I was a student. I noticed this and this was missing so I can just teach that for you Yeah,
0: uh, so, so, then you, so you you were I teaching did that. adjunct adjunct at Parsons for a yes. while, And when did you end up going to NYU to the game setting
1: uh, and I was also well when you're part-time teaching um, It's not much money so you kind of have to hustle and do multiple different schools. So I was actually teaching like three different schools. Yeah. In addition to Parsons, okay. so I was
0: also adjunct for NYU and uh, NYU Poly as well. Okay. And then you just got in with the with the good folks at the Game Center, and they wanted to bring you on as like a full time.
1: Yeah, I, I drank enough beers with Frank Lance. Yep. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was kind of. Yeah, like I mean, I you know you apply to a lot of. Jobs and you don't get them. Yeah. And that's just yeah. how it is. Um, and gradually I hope I got better at applying to jobs. Yeah. And finally, after like four or five years of random part time work, um, I finally got a full time thing. Okay. And that's actually relatively rare. Like it doesn't um, happen that much. Higher education is a mess right
0: now. There's not a lot of yeah, there's just not a lot of open openings, I feel like, for that no, kind of position. So within that time, yeah, I, I feel like so. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel like you took a hard turn into like aggressively gay content <laughs> around that time yeah, with your so, personal work. So like, t- tell me about. It's been like, an hour and I haven't even talked about it. I know. Okay. Well, get ready for the next hour because this to be <laughs> gay as hell. Um, but I, I feel like there there was this like you were saying you started with work that was maybe like a little more indirect or a little bit more like, oh, I'll make this slightly more palatable or something, and you went to art school and you were doing your teaching and all that kind of stuff, and how did you start thinking about what you wanted to do more with the games you were releasing as you were going forward through all of that?
1: I think I just met more artists, met more people, got out there in the world, um... And just when I met all these people and I saw all the stuff they were doing I was like wait I mean sometimes it would be like oh man that is so great I wish I could do that and half the time you're like no that's shit I could do that <laughs> so that's like a real useful impulse I think yeah to like see other people's work and then that like fires you up a little bit for sure so then that kind of convinced me like oh we, yeah i could do this and like why aren't there any like gay sex video games or anything yeah and i was really again i was really reluctant at first i like i didn't want to be pigeonholed as yeah. the guy who makes gay sex games but but I, after like waiting around i was i'd been in the indie scene for like years and years by then i was like oh no one's doing this right i guess i have to take one for the team <laughs> and and be the gay video game guy and then so that's kind of what I ended I mean, up doing like
0: at some point you are like there, There's a point where you're like, huh, there's work that I want to see and no one's doing it So I guess that just means I have to make it right And yeah. so in your case You had just subject matter that you were specifically like there is none of this no there is out isn't. there Yeah,
1: and I wanted to make it kind of like on my own terms, too I mean like I think this comes from like, you know, playing like Oblivion or Skyrim and then you're like, Oh, why can't I have like sex? Oh, I wanna see that NPC that NPC is so hot. I wanna or like playing Dragon Age and you're like, I wanna romance this guy, but even more now. <laughs> and then Bioware's like, no, fate to black by and right. then you're like, No, I wanna do more, I can do I can do that part. I appreciate that like bioware or whatever can't be as explicit, maybe maybe they want to, but they can't due to like whatever market forces or whatever. Right. They can't. Um, so I thought, okay, I, well, at least I can yeah. plug that hole, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I can penetrate that yeah. orifice and yep. of respectability <laughs> and, and 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 make the gay games that I, like, I wanted to see. Right. Um, while also trying to do it on my own terms, because yeah. my um, my games aren't straight up... I wouldn't say my games are pornography in that they're too, like, self-conscious, I think. Right. Um, if they're pornography, they're bad pornography. Right. Because it's always like, ooh, shame on you for being horny, or something. That's kind of the turn a lot of my games kind of take. Well, they they certainly have,
0: uh, they they are, I would say they're incredibly interesting because they, they, yeah, they have, like, often a level of, like, grotesquerie to them. Yeah. And I think some of that... It, you i you reinforce some of that by really like leaning into the uncanny valley thing like you're sort of like you're doing indie games that generally you like release for free or pay what you want or whatever that are about yeah like super like very direct like gay sex themes but with like triple a visual right. fetishization of like spec mapping and mm-hmm. stuff and that all seems so strange <laughs> like in <laughs> indie games almost nobody is like i really want to get like the subsurface scattering perfect mm-hmm. and also the subject matter is not being covered and also they're just like really interestingly designed where do you think you're well and then you use them to be like and then it's like not in a lot of cases just like not actually sexy because it just is no it's about like sex, too much it's not, like yeah
1: over overwhelming although it... there is a guy who uh he did a let's Jack off <laughs> to my game. <laughs> Which one? Um, the car one. Um, all all uh, the first three, the Radiator Two okay, series. Yeah. Okay, um, He actually did a yeah, let's jack it to <laughs> Radiator Two um, on X Tube, so you can go on X. Oh, okay. I think his username's Dude Who's A Dude or something like that. And <laughs> online uh, is
0: great. Usernames are great. It was super.
1: It. He actually got the video got taken down from X several times because. My games. uh, I was tired of YouTubers not giving me credit in my games, so I actually put my name and URL in the beginning of every game to force them to show it. Yeah. And XTube actually has a policy against not showing URLs, so it was kind of interesting that XTube was censoring a pornographic (laughs) kind of thing. I don't know. Um,
0: So yeah. So again, for uh, for for faithful listeners that aren't familiar with your games. Yeah, you want to describe the three games that are in Radiator 2 HD. Oh, right.
1: Um, So uh, it's three parts. There's a secret fourth part if you're good at games or whatever. If you're Uh, a true gamer. If you're a true gamer. The first one is Hurt Me Plenty. Hurt Me Plenty is a game where you uh, spank a guy, but before you spank the guy, you have to negotiate how he would like to be spanked. Then, uh, after you spank him and play out the scene, then there's also a third phase where it's called aftercare. Um, and this is all, t- and aftercare is where you like talk about how the scene went and check in with your feelings and when
0: stuff. When you're, sort of like, you're sort of like comforting him, sort of. And
1: comforting yeah. about him about how it went and then hear whether he liked it or not. Yeah. And that's actually taken straight out of uh, kink
0: communities in right. BDSM. Well, it seemed, yeah, from it seemed, I mean, you say it outright that it's like about kind of demonstrating how consent works and mm-hmm. how, like, agreement and, you know, like how, how that whole process making that, uh, demonstrating through this interactive piece, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and I felt like that because I think kink and BDSM like structure and formalize sex really specifically like that. And I thought that right. was interesting. Yeah. And then meanwhile, games are actually Bad at simulating sex, right? Like they don't really simulate consent or negotiation. Uh, they certainly don't simulate the actual sex act, and then right. you certainly don't really talk about it afterwards. Right. So um, <laughs> I thought um, it was like a useful structuring of sex that I could try out, yeah. and that's just like a, you know a short like five-minute thing. Yeah. And then the second game it, it, is oh,
0: so oh, so. So I recently replayed these for prior to this interview. Um, in, in hurt me plenty, is there much dynamism to like which symbols get chosen when you're doing the negotiation and everything or is it I, don't, I couldn't I, I, I played through it a couple of times uh-huh. and it was like fairly similar, but I didn't right. know how much there was actual randomization there versus just like the implication of going through options, but it's more baked. It's kind of more. I mean, I never actually do like a hardcore systems thing because yeah, yeah. I
1: don't have the time to do it. <laughs> right. Um, well, and it
0: doesn't change. Like, it's, the just, actual it's just a simple RNG thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and it it randomizes some stuff and like some of the variables and stuff. But yeah. I wouldn't. I would say like once you play it once, it's mostly yeah. the same. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. What else um, is it? What else is it? Oh wait, no, but the big thing about that game, oh yeah. I actually forgot to mention, mm-hmm. was uh, if you spank him too hard, he might invoke the safe word to stop the scene, but if you keep spanking and ignore his safe word, ignore his boundaries, uh, he will imp- he will interpret that as abuse, and the game will refuse to play with you for a number of days huh. uh, as kind of like a punishment a little <sighs> bit, uh, or penalty, to kind of make the abuse more felt. Right. I'm,
0: I must have been a better partner than. Oh yeah, you're very <laughs> I, considerate. Then I, I, good
1: job. Most a lot of people end up violating his safe word like ten or twelve times, huh. which ends up locking you out of the game for like twenty four days wow. in real life, huh. and then I, you can't play.
0: I also um, this re- I, I played um, Naomi Clark's game yes. Uh at Indiecade, and uh, I, I I just went and you know I was like oh I'd like to check it out and I wanted to play it and you know Naomi wasn't I mean. Could have played it, but like as the creator of the game, it's like mm-hmm. better to play. It. So like, just another guy showed up, and just us two like
1: had tentacle ma- sex with each other. Yeah,
0: us two like married straight guys were like very very caring partners. We yeah. we scored high. <laughs> in our, in oh, our, awesome! In our like, uh, we we had a lot. Of I've
1: actually never done. I play with my husband, and then we don't. Do well.
0: Actually. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it helped that we didn't have any pre-existing expect. We were kind of negotiating as yeah, strangers. We
1: take each other for granted. It's
0: true. <laughs> okay, so there's hurt me plenty, and then what else is? In- uh,
1: and then there's succulent. Succulent is a game where uh, there's a guy and a popsicle, and then you eat the popsicle, and that's it.
0: That's kind of it. That one's very straightforward. Um, I, I I played that all the way to the end. That's one of the ones that gets that that goes into true. Just like like. Nightmare ending. Oh, yeah, so you, you did a lot with like like glitch art like bug like like rigging bug Oh, yeah, is like if, if you, if you follow those. that through all the way to the end. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I Was inspired by like you know like skate 3 right skate 3 is the most famous game But that was so buggy. It was so good right and you just go to YouTube search skate 3 If you haven't already just people getting launched into the atmosphere Instantly and and like a virtual body finally just free to be a weird virtual <laughs> body that's like a rag doll that's like glitching and stuff. It's actually like super interesting. Yeah. Right? And it's not a bug to be squashed out. So that, right. uh, that inspired me a lot for succulent where uh, as you progress down the, and you eat the popsicle more and more, or ice block or ice lolly as it's called in other and,
0: An ice pole in
1: ice, Australia. Icy pole. Yep. <laughs> that's such a terrible, popsicle. so much, anyway. It, anyway, yeah. They, we... fruit bar <laughs> cold chilled fruit bar icy treat icy treat for your mouth <laughs> tasty phallic icy treat yes um it starts glitching out right and all the bodies start contorting uh because they're succubuses actually and once they finish that
0: oh. popsicle
1: they want to devour you
0: wow in the end okay i didn't read i didn't catch that read but that's amazing i mean yeah, that's okay no that's fine but yeah like at the, you finish it all so when you say you, yeah, you're you're feeding it to this hunky guy. But you're also controlling him right. at the same, you're like sharing control of his That's body. That's true, because it's like. in his hand but you are controlling what he does with yeah. it. And you're the one looking at him, you're the one right. objectifying him too. Right, because it's clearly not supposed to be a third person perspective of the character you're playing as. No. It's someone you are controlling. They're looking at you, they're yeah. staring at you. Yeah, exactly. You okay, and because yeah, when you, if you don't just quit out before it gets fully it's devoured. It's three minutes, it's so easy it's it, a walking, well, it's, a it's, it's, so, it's a sucking simulator it's so... It's a sucking simulator
1: There's no challenge, I don't understand how people can quit out. No,
0: the the reason I, I, I wasn't sure it wasn't clear to me for the very beginning, that there was actually any progress, I thought it might just be like you can just do this. It's, uh, it's a software toy. Okay. It took me a while to notice, like, the oh, like oh, it's smaller. getting smaller. And so then I was like, so mm. what's going to happen when he finishes it? And then what happens when he finishes it is his rig breaks and his mouse gets incredible. He unhinges weird. his jaw, right? To and eat then you. like yeah, uh, which is just kind of surreal and terrifying. Period. <laughs> experientially.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the Uncanny Valley thing. Um, Brendan Keough, he he wrote once about my games that I dive to the bottom of the Uncanny Valley,
0: <laughs> and
1: I think that's a good way to put it. I think there's treasure at the bottom of the Uncanny Valley. We just need to go down there and get it. Yeah. Um, and then
0: the third game is the car game?
1: Oh, yeah, and then the third game is Stick Shift. In right. Stick Shift, you are... Um, Driving a car is a driving simulator, a manual transmission uh, auto-erotic driving simulator. Right. Quote-unquote uh, auto-erotic. Auto-erotic. Right. Um, and you are driving the car, and you need to arouse the car. And as you arouse the car more and more, you can shift up in gears. And in fact, uh, you have to, because if you don't shift at the right time, it'll... It'll stall out, yeah, and yeah. then you lose all your progress. Right. Um, and it's very real. It's a huge... Um, Huge role-playing community for this game, right? Just go YouTube and search how to drive stick shift (laughs) and There's countless dudes who are huge fans of my games Playing it. Yeah, they're just
0: showing you exactly how to how to manipulate that stick.
1: I've actually never
0: I don't know how to drive a stick I Have done it, but it's it's like when you learn a language in high school and then Uh you I could not do it today. It's been too But long. you
1: have to, like, muscle memory a little bit, right? Not
0: really. Uh, no. I didn't learn I didn't learn to drive on a stick shift, so, like, uh, okay. my, my wife had a stick shift car for some amount of time, so mm-hmm. I'm like, I should be able to drive this thing, but I was trying to learn it here in San Francisco, uh, so it was like, learn to not stall this out. Just
1: on a hill? Uh, yeah, you're, just you're, like... you're on, like, a 45-degree <laughs> hill at a stop sign,
0: <laughs> and you're like, good luck, motherfucker. There's somebody that's, like, five feet behind you, and you're rolling back into them. It was yeah. bad. So I gave up on that. Damn. Uh, <laughs> I did that, I did that wow. twice in the city and I was like nope I'm gonna have a panic attack if Mm -hmm. I do that Um, and then the I feel like the well okay so then additionally the other two games that I feel like are kind of of a piece with those are um, Cobra Club and uh, the tea room which are did did you make those after the so you, you kind of re-released, like, HD versions of the Radiator 2. Games, yeah, I remastered right? my, I'm yeah.
1: one of the few indies who really likes <laughs> remastering his games for some reason.
0: So did you, did you, 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 like, made Cobra Club, and then you did the remasters, and then you made the Tea Room, something like yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Cobra Club is a game about taking dick pics, mm-hmm. and being in, like, a, like, an app where it's all people who want to share dick pics with each other, and they ask you for dick pics, and it's a it's a it's a bathroom selfie simulator, yeah. and your mom is outside the the door knocking and asking yeah, if, if, you if okay. you're going to be. She's worried. you've be, yeah, been in there, been there for, for a long time, time. Uh, and it, ha- it it ends with like a like government surveillance. And yeah, men. this was happening when they were, like, renewing the Patriot
1: Act, I think. Right, and right. then uh, I think John Oliver or someone someone did a segment about how, like, to try to make it relatable to people. They're like, right. the government is stealing your dick pics. Right. <laughs> this thing you thought was private, they can actually just take yeah. at any time. Yeah. And I thought, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting take on dick pics. I'll yeah. make a game about that.
0: Yeah. And then the Tea Room is a historical game about men meeting up in... Uh, not truck stop, but, like, rest stop Yeah, public bathrooms. In, like, what, 1962 is the time period, something like that? Yeah, good memory, 1962. Um, And so it's, like, you're in a grungy bathroom, and you're basically hanging out, and then, like, a car will drive up, and a guy comes in, and and it, it, it reminds me a little bit of Hurt Me Plenty in that you're kind of, it's about this unspoken communication. Like, it's, like, how long you look at each other, and then what the response is, and then... And yeah. then it gets weird and grotesque again because there's a meat, not that gun. grotesque. Well, I think I think that the Cronenberg-esque, like literal, like gun models for.
1: I thought we liked guns. I thought video gamer, <laughs> exactly. gamers oh, gamers love guns. I was love. just giving gamers what they wanted. And, and chivas, hello. A It's true that yeah. I'm I'm pretty much slumming it. For that game.
0: <laughs> and, and so that game similarly is about like okay, you're negotiating this you know gay sex encounter, but also. You have to watch out for the cops because He
1: might be undercover.
0: Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, see, because I only ever was I would be looking out the window and like be watching for a cop car to, to pull up. Which oh, is also. He... You can interpret it either way. Oh, okay. Both interpretations are historically oh, okay. what right. happened. And so yeah, it's about like, like going through this almost kind of like ritualized gay sex exchange and then also avoiding getting arrested for yes. public indecency and, and so forth. And also collecting eight different kinds of firearms and admiring all their stats. and Yeah, their, their penises are guns. That's what right. Steve is trying to dance around <laughs> right now.
1: Um, yeah, their penises are guns because uh, I was tired of penises getting banned. So I thought, they should be guns, because video game Twitch will never ban guns. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> even if they're
0: even with their veiny flesh covered. A veiny flesh gun is still a gun, right? (laughs) Sometimes a veiny flesh gun is just a veiny flesh gun, for God's sake. Exactly, right? (laughs) Don't overthink it. (laughs) Certainly not. So, you know, there's this... um, So, me, from the outside, there's this arc to, to your work as an observer that I may be imposing in an oversimplified way, but you... Um, you know, you you made all the games that we're talking about over the course of yeah, like eight ten years mm-hmm. um, And it feels to me like there's you started out being like I'm going to do these mods about like gay romantic kind of relationship Moments yeah, and then I'm gonna make these independent standalone games that are about being very like direct about like Gay male sexuality as mm-hmm. like the thing the game's about and it's gonna be like almost like celebratory of like sex and eroticism and You know making it weird, but being like it's 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 a it's sex a, is weird, right? Right, All but it, sex is weird. Yes, and but I felt like those games they were they they you know They had sort of a subversively joyous like Aspect to them. Yeah, sex is weird, but that's what makes sex awesome and surprising <laughs> sometimes right and that's what those games are were yes. about you yeah, know being like Straightforward about it, but straightforward also about how it's not simple and, and all that kind of stuff. And then your most recent stuff shares this theme of basically like homosexuality being illegal and getting busted for it, and basically being in danger in some way for like engaging yeah. in in that community. Do you? F- I mean, do you feel that arc in your work and your outlook, and like have you felt differently about what you're doing with? I don't know. It, do, do you feel like that's a fair thing to say that you've gone through some stages of how you want to address these uh, topics, or am I like reading more into it than I should?
1: Uh, oh no, yeah. I would say I'm definitely concerned much more with um, how uh, I get uh, deplatformed and get banned from like Twitch and stuff, um, and that and that's certainly on my mind a lot. And that's also just historically in line with a lot of gay artists like Robert Maplethorpe and stuff, right? Uh, just Producing work, but then not being allowed to show their work for whatever reason, yeah. um, and then those reasons often being like contradictory or inconsistent, which suggests some weird like nihilist homophobia on the part of these platforms sometimes. Yeah, um, and then yeah, and that's the kind of the implicit idea of the tea room. The idea of the tea room was um, gay people have been uh, gay when two dudes meet in a Public bathroom in the middle of nowhere, no one else in the middle of the night. They're
0: not hurting anyone, right? Right? No- they're, they're theoretically hurting the third person who could theoretically walk in and be scandalized. Right? Yeah. What if? Yeah. What if a child suddenly ran into that bathroom in the middle of the night? I mean, to be fair, the bathroom in that game does have a really big picture window <laughs> right next to the urinal. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Gameplay reasons. Yes, yes, yes. No, I I understood that. I was like, wait a second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't see that well. I mean, it's maybe a one-way thing. But it's kind of in line with a long history of who's allowed to say what, who's allowed to do what, what's a public space, who's allowed to do what in a public space. Yeah. And, um... I think I relate a lot to that, and I think that 's kind of what 's happening on the internet now who 's allowed to say what in public space who's doing damage to whom um what is the state of our conversation and discourse and all that yeah um so i've um I think my games are pretty like political in yeah. that way and yeah. kind of contemporary, and hopefully they don 't age horribly yeah. because of
0: that well, I mean, it feels to me like yeah, there was it feels like. Yeah, some sort of like feeling out the territory, and then being really like like confident and and out there with what you're putting out. And it it I mean it can read to me as sort of arcing back towards like a pessimism about the I don't know. Uh, I mean it's it's definitely the work got got darker in the more recent things that yes. that you've done. Yeah, you know, like the the prior. Era, you know, era of your work was kind of about the act itself and the experience of being in those moments and mm-hmm. then it feels like the more recent work is about like the danger of it.
1: I think that's just because that's what happened I guess right like there was all this think back to like the indie moment in like 2008 or something there's yeah. all this optimism about what games will be and then Gamergate happens and then everyone's like oh, wait, no one did anything. We witnessed all this evil and no one did anything and no one stopped it. Um, and then they got a president elected or something. So um, I think we we are living in this kind of dark time, but I also think um, we're all trying to figure out our ways out of it. And we all have our different ways of coping with that right. and finding new strategies to get out of there. So yeah. this is mine. I, I mean, I think I'm going to try to be... Maybe a little bit more optimistic yeah. in the future. Uh, I'm working on a gay bar game, cool. and that's actually been kind of difficult because I kept being kind of pessimistic about gay bars disappearing. Yeah. Um, but then the Pulse shooting happened in right. 2016, where the gay nightclub in Florida was shot up, and then I thought, no, the gay bar is still like a vital institution. I need to like celebrate that more.
0: Yeah. Well, what did you mean about? Is there a? Uh, a Worry within the gay community that like gay bars are going away. It's not something I'm very conscious.
1: of. Oh yeah, they're uh, disappearing in San Francisco. The last lesbian bar closed, I think, last year. Yeah. Um, was,
0: that was, was that was that like the Lexington? Yeah, the Lexington. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Is, and does that? What are the factors there? Is that one of those things where it's like online is making that go away, or what do you? I mean, what it's, are the? There's a lot of debate talk about, about yeah. what is
1: actually going on. Um, I think in the in, like, for example in the case of that lesbian bar I would say you could link it to um, women like, like I think a typical straight response to the lesbian bar closing down is that oh I guess lesbians just don't want to go to bars anymore right but that's kind of a silly thing to say so uh, I would say like something a better reasoning for why gay spaces are disappearing is because they're being defunded it's because uh people have less money less time and energy to dedicate into this stuff um if if you're already trying to pour all your energy into like one thing you don't have time for this other thing right and then you kind of end up having to prioritize maybe your own survival Mm. um so i would say that's why a lot of gay spaces are disappearing not because like Grinder grinder I don't think is a community. Right. Grinder you can't organize in that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's replacing anything in that
0: regard. But but, do, but doesn't it seem like in the broader dating sphere like I don't know I've, I've been I've been with my wife since we were teenagers so I've never had to actually like date like a normal person would. Um but I can only imagine normies. Yeah. Yeah the, 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 the dating normies. I mean it. well I mean I'm I have a non-standard you but I feel like if I had to date I wouldn't be like let's go I, I want to go hang out at a bar I would totally be like I don't know let's let's, let's look at an app <laughs> you know like right. does it, and I, I, I would assume that that all it's like it's like you know like an online shopping killing retail there's it, mm-hmm. it seems like there's also got to be some level of just like more people are totally skipping the physical meetup location. In general, I don't know.
1: I mean, I, I mean, I know people who online dating works well for them, yeah. and then a lot of people online
0: dating doesn't work for yeah. them. So yeah, for sure.
1: I would say it's the same thing in the gay community. You know, yeah. not um, you know, gay hookup apps work well for some people, and then they don't work well for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so were you asking about like how gay people date or something? <laughs> what was what no, was No, I was I, I, I was
0: also I was like, wait, where did this? Well, you were talking about, uh, you you just mentioned how you were making a um, a gay club or gay bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's game. actually like an app in the game, <laughs> like you look at your phone, you look
1: down to look at access your phone, and yeah. there's like a grinder like app <laughs> a little bit. But you're in the bar as well, so right. they're like simultaneous spaces
0: yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I was just following. Yeah. you kind of mentioned those spaces going away, and I was like, what's the story with that? Oh, uh, right, yeah. But but then yeah. So but you're you're kind of back on that because you want to kind of celebrate and uplift the vitality of. Of gay meetup spaces like gay bars,
1: uh, yeah, and I I think that's also kind of like what, how maybe some of the work that my gay video games are doing, it, you know, if if we can't have physical gay bars, I guess I'll have a VR gay hookup thing <laughs> over here, you know, like um, you know, like I think gay a lot of marginalized people n- increasingly find themselves without spaces, yeah, and maybe one strategy for coping with that is creating virtual spaces right. and room for that for for those people to like find each other and uh, organize yeah. so maybe that's some of what i'm doing
0: well there's a certain level i imagine of well it's it's that it's that i think it's something you're already in dialogue with in some of your work where it feels like if you're going to make a like you know basically like a, a gay club simulator you as the creator are now in charge of all the parameters right mm-hmm. and so you could if you wanted make like the idealized version of what that experience would be like or the one that only includes certain things and does, I mean as a simulation it's always going to be an abstraction so it'll never be one to one you know so like with with doing that work for you what is important to represent about that kind of space or that experience and what you're building i always try to be
1: honest in whatever sense you can interpret that word and that means trying to have good and bad to like every sexual experience yeah um so i mean i do i do want to be more positive just because i think that's what that's the kind of turn we do need so i i think what I, I think in my future games, uh, like, like most of my current games, kind of follow a trajectory of having like this. I like build up this fantasy. Like, uh, I have like a shower game, rinse and repeat, right. uh, where you like start out showering guy and it's really amazing. Um, and then, spoiler, at the end, after you've washed him several times and you've grown to love him and want to see him more, uh, he actually breaks it off and he's like, actually, this is too much commitment. I can't handle this. Guy. <laughs> and he leaves. Uh, and then forever until you you have to like delete the
0: game and reinstall it. If right. you want to play with them again. Well, and that because that also that game has a real time component to it, right? Yeah. Where it's like he'll only show up at certain times, like on your computer's like actual real time clock.
1: And that might be four a.m. Right. On a Friday, so you better play
0: <laughs> at four a.m. on a Yeah. Friday. You better put set an alarm.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, but like that's the trajectory of a lot of my game's right. I have the I build up this like really obvious like fantasy, and then I kind of try to break down the fantasy. Right. Um Here I might try to like go the other way I'm, I think I might try the trajectory where it starts as kind of this like depressing kind of thing, and then you try to build up a fantasy and utopia out of that terrible situation,
0: yeah, and then actually maintain it as opposed to like. Yeah. Cuz you could totally easily be like it's not and, and, yeah. and then you're like, oh, the utopia uh, it was fake, you know, which is like a classic kind of, I don't know, hacky twist or right? Gay BioShock, <laughs> you know. <laughs> don't don't spoil it. That's what the reveal is. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean Yeah, wh- why don't why don't we why don't we talk a little bit more about yeah, your Reaction via the tea room to just like censorship and and what is like allowed on platforms because that was what your talk was about last year yeah. at, at the MicroTux. you were talking about how you know you made the games that we've been talking about mm-hmm. and then like Twitch banned them from being streamed yeah. and and other other platforms would like flag them for for content warnings and something that's that's interesting I think about your games aside from Cobra Club is that they don't actually feature any actual like like full frontal nudity. No, uh, there's no gen geneti- Cobra Club's the only one. With genitalia. Yeah. Um, and so but it wasn't just Cobra Club that got banned, right? Yeah, like pretty much all of them have gone banned. Yeah. Which, you know, your talk was about the very clear double standard mm-hmm. there of even like implied sexuality being banable, but other games with, you know, Whatever they, they didn't deal with those themes being mm-hmm. like, okay, right. um, and yeah, you so the, the, the very surreal aspect of the tea room was sort of a reaction to that where you're like, well, if they're gamers love guns, so you, yeah <laughs> so, so like it, it ends up like, I find it really interesting to have played that after having listened to your talk because I'm like, it's like it's like it, it's very much like modern and contemporary art, where a lot of times it either is effectively meaningless or unclear what is going on, unless you kind of know the artist's backstory and what right. led to it and the other work that it's reacting to. And so I played that game knowing the context, mm-hmm. but I can only imagine that if I played that game just out of nowhere, what a fucking nightmare! <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like the the just concept of that. Is, uh... It's just a gun, Dick.
1: But <laughs> like, I think, I think this. I, I make a game in that in that mode where like I feel like the real art of a game is that it provokes conversation and it right. provokes a culture around it. And I think that's the shift that a lot of games are doing now. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, we always think games. What's so great about games is that they're interactive and stuff. Yeah. But most of the time when we interact with games, we watch them on Twitch or YouTube or something, right? You're not actually playing it. You're watching someone else play. You're watching it being performed. Yeah. So that's it, we interface with games outside of games now. It's, it, all the meaning in a game should not be contained in a game because that's not how we do games. When I play Subnautica, I open up the wiki because I don't know where the right. hell I'm going in Subnautica. right? Yeah. And that's just accepted.
0: That's yeah. how things are, right? It's accepted that you'll do that. So I feel like like Minecraft and Dark yeah. Souls basically Normalized the idea of like, open up the wiki. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's okay. They don't expect you to only rely on the game for everything. Right. And I think that's where gamer culture is kind of going. It's it's a whole encompassing thing. It's yeah. not this weird specific isolated thing. Oh, yeah. she just
0: left. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, how does that specifically feed into the T room for you? So, for the Tea
1: Room, that is a game that's actually referring to a short film called Tea Room. Okay. And that one is based on police footage. Uh, the cop, uh, the police in Mansfield, Ohio in 1962, they. They wanted to imprison all these gay men for having sex in bathrooms, but there was no evidence, there was no victims, there was no damage being done. So how do you go after the gays? Well, they set up a secret surveillance camera inside the bathroom and filmed them doing it. So they basically made one of the first gay pornos like ever, really. And it's actually really, it's like really preserved. And um, I actually went to a screening to of it recently. And oh really. Um, there used to be sound associated with the short film. It was a police training film on how to recognize deviants. So wow. they would be like, look at this homosexual. It's he's disgusting. Look <laughs> at him look leer like that. So it was a lot of that, but the artist actually cut all the audio out. So it was just quiet. It was complete silence. Sixty minutes of watching surveillance footage of dudes wow. in the bathroom. And it was really it was really intense because uh, you kind of feel bad watching them. It's like you're complicit in watching what they thought, what they thought they yeah. had an expectation of privacy. Right. And you're violating that still to this day. And there's yeah. also, um, but it's also quiet. So you hear every rustle of like clothes or something. Yeah.
0: And, um, I forget what I'm talking about. What, what was your question? I mean, yeah, you, you were talking about how the, um, how the tea room relates to what you were saying about gamer, like engagement with games. Being outside of the game oh, right, as right. well as actually in it, so I think when you, I
1: think every game ideally kind of reaches outside of itself, and ideally reaches outside of gamer culture, right? You can, if you think of gamer culture as this vast like ecosystem, of all these all these different websites and wikis and Twitch and all these different people interacting with each other, yeah. producing like meaning and content and whatever. Why not just expand that to include all culture everywhere, all the time, right? Yeah. And I think I I want games to like connect more with the world. I feel like games for a long time have just been so disconnected and isolated, and I think that's part of my reason for wanting to make it like a historical quote bathroom right. simulator. Right. Because I wanted to ground it in a real world context like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> did Did it Did it successfully <laughs> avoid getting
1: banned? Uh. I okay interesting thing is, uh, I don't think it's banned on Twitch yet. I mean, Twitch doesn't tell me when they ban my games. Yeah. I, someone just, a fan, just tells me later, oh yeah, by the way, you were banned two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, right. I, okay. I, I
0: so. tried to stream it and it was like, this game is banned.
1: Oh, really? No, no, no. Oh, no. They, but that, they that's they what they it. tell you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't even do, there's like a list. You're supposed, I'm supposed to go to this, as a game developer, I'm supposed to go to the Twitch website, go to this list of banned games and like refresh it, I guess, every hour to see if they've decided to ban my game. But Um, it's not banned on Twitch yet, so my strategy kind of worked, but, um, it got banned from YouTube. Okay. Huh. Which is kind of weird. YouTube is going through like a weird clamping down of content. It's they're like banning people just talking about gay rights. Like yeah. there's not even any nudity or sex. They're just talking about gay identity, and those videos get banned and flagged. So there's some really weird stuff happening in the YouTube world right like now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the interesting response to okay. it, I guess.
0: Huh. So 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 yeah. So 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 the ploy worked. Guns are okay in games. <laughs> confirmed. <laughs>
1: Um, but now I'm kind of going back, now my thinking is, wait, am I overcorrecting too much? Right. Like, I let them, I let them trick me into putting guns in my game. Right. <laughs> so, for my next game, I'm actually going like, no,
0: I'm going to put human genitalia yeah. in it now. Well, because that's the thing that I was, you know, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking about it in a way, is just sort of like, except for Cobra Club, where it's just, like, pictures of someone in their bathroom. Mm-hmm. There's never really any actual like sexual acts explicitly depicted in anything that, that you've made, but it like it's all very much pointing in that direction. Yeah, it's very suggestive. Yeah, I think. And, um, I mean is that is is being completely you know, just like straightforward and explicit something that's interesting to you, or is it is it like not something that even feels like it has value to be that just like one to one? I like changing it up. So yeah. now I feel like after being suggestive, I need to go back
1: more towards the direction of being more straightforward. Yeah. And um, it's, it's scary because you know when, when Twitch bans my games, I start thinking, oh, then what does Twitch want? And then I end up kind of second guessing myself and self-policing yeah. what I would actually do if yeah. I didn't have all these like barriers against me. Um, so that's kind of the scariest part. There's this chilling effect on artists, um, but not just me. I feel like every game developer right now is thinking, oh, will this be streamable? Will, right. this, will so-and-so play my game and like it? Will they play it over and over? I'm, I want to design the game so that it's good for streaming. And then it's, it's a little bit, I don't want to say it's so super bad when that happens, but yeah. it is something like an external pressure right. on you when you might have done something else now you have to do it another way
0: to bow down to this other thing. Well, it's weirdly the modern moment of like everything has to be open world or everything has to have like competitive multiplayer yeah. or you know like there there are always these I think moments in game making where it's like, well, if your game isn't a GTA killer, you know, if it doesn't have RPG elements, yeah, like you know, and and it comes in in cycles. I don't know if streaming is something that is as cyclical as that, mm-hmm. but it definitely feels like one of those things where you're like, you know, well, if you if you can't prestige, <laughs> then like yeah. don't bother shipping. It's like, yeah, if, if people aren't going to stream stream the shit out of this, then like we got a problem, you know? Yeah, and it is it's it's strange because it makes It has the potential like you're saying, it has the potential to make the work not be about its own self and values and more be like how can we satisfy this expectation that it seems like there is out in Mm -hmm. the world? You know, I have this obligation to make this thing, you know, whatever, be be clickable by XYZ. Is that can I theoretical audience? Briefly ask, is that pressure are you like
1: feeling any of that compared to like the projects you're gonna do at Fulbright now? Like not, like, are you still going to really make short really. single-player games which aren't like evergreen PUBG things, right. right? Like, do you feel pressure sometimes to adjust to, to do like an open-world multiplayer
0: thing? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you like, have your audience, and gonna, yeah, you can you can stick with. There, them, there's right? something that we're that we're good at, and we make stuff that's at a small enough scale that it is producible. Mm-hmm. You know, without having to try to like, like we were very lucky to hit the zeitgeist with gone home in 2013 which was during a time where it was like interesting small indie games that are doing something new or like what people are excited about. Yeah. Um, but it's what we're good at and mm-hmm. it's what we're interested in and I think that our main intent is to, you know, find ways to to keep doing that as creators and explore what we can do with it as opposed to like seems like we need to make a You know, endlessly replayable, (laughs) you know, PUBG killer now. Like an inventory, yeah. Um, Having an inventory would be cool. You had had an inventory and gone home. (laughs) You did? I don't even remember. Oh, yeah. When when you pick up keys and notes, yeah, right, 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 right. right. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, but like the pressure is there, right? Mm Because you're like, oh, well, maybe the kind of things that we make aren't what people want anymore. But like Mm -hmm. that's what people were saying about. RPGs in the early 2000s, and about right. adventure games until Telltale was a thing. And you know, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the work is just being there and doing the work and making the work good. And you can't really be in control of you can't be in control of the zeitgeist. But if you make the work that's good, and you cross the finger your fingers that it's what people are interested about when it comes out, then like. It's going to be better for you than, than trying to chase the thing that's popular now. Because by the time you're done developing your game, yeah, it's Zeitgeist has totally moved. You know, it, it's really hard to be intentional about it, I think. Well said. Never change, Steve Gaynor. <laughs> Never change. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert Yang. Um, oh, we are, we're running out of time in our, uh, in our speaker practice room here. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how far along are you on your next game? Um,
1: I'm. This one is going to be a uh, webcam camming game, actually. Really? Um, so you're uh, you're like a webcam webcam boy. Oh wait, this is
0: totally separate from the from the the gay club game. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're, are you working on those? I have
1: too many pro- I have the indie problem starting in, too many
0: projects. Yeah, you're, you're working on both of those in, in parallel, or is one of them kind of on uh, the hiatus? The gay bar thing is on hiatus okay. until I figure out what I'm doing okay, with okay. that. But, um, so So what is this, so, okay, okay, so so this camboy thing? There's another-
1: I mean, gay sex is just this, like, totally inexhaustible, insatiable... <laughs> Beast of so much stuff! I'll I'll be able to pull out. I feel like I'll never, I'll never like stop making it because I can always point to something. I can make another game about. uh, This is a yeah. This is a webcam game where uh, you perform. You have your own webcam channel, kind of like other cam website. You know, like ChatterBait or something, where uh, basically a lot of people you know like do sex acts or masturbate on the webcam, and then uh, people tune in and watch, and then send them tips and stuff when they do stuff, Uh, and then it's super. And um,
0: so send them tips. Oh, sorry. You meant like money. Yeah, money. I, sorry. I, sorry, I, sorry. Not advice Yeah, yeah I, I was like, you know, you could really you could maximize your stroke on that if you did I, don't, I mean, no, they
1: told totally you that like unsolicited <laughs> advice that no one cares about they totally do that, too but uh, it's like, you know, like like twitch bits, right, right, yes. but Chatterbait bits or whatever they're <laughs> yes, called. Yeah. I don't even chat. I think they're chatterbait coins, right? Um, so you get that, and then you're, you're running the channel and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's actually a lot about the contemporary streaming tension yeah. we've been talking about. You're, you're enacting the part of the streamer, yeah. and then d- you're trying to think about what your audience and viewers want from yeah. you, and then you need to, like, identify your super fans and cultivate them into whales yeah. so that they give you a bunch of money
0: <laughs> so they start like yeah paying your student loans and stuff
1: yeah right <laughs> um, so it'll be something like that so
0: you should to- what you totally need to do is do heavy actual twitch integration to 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 discourage them from it's just going to get banned you. but 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 put it put in such why would i do the work when they're going to ban? i don't understand because if you did okay all i'm saying is it it's it's very multivalent. You have yeah. your fictional streamer. They're getting a fictional co- they're, they're channel. getting, fictional getting coins from fictional viewers. Then you have someone streaming that. Uh huh. And if in the game, people could give actual Twitch bits to the person who was streaming the game uh-huh. through the game, so you could be getting Twitch bits on your channel by streaming the game about being the guy who's streaming to his no. Fake channel. I I would love to that. That would be amazing, that, but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we can like buy some followers in the game for them, but, <laughs> but why would I do that work if they're just going to ban my API key or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, It's kind of the same problem with Steam. I'm working on another radiator release for Steam, and then should I put all the work into, for example, this Cobra Club dick pic game? Should I put the work into porting that and fixing that up when they're just going to ban it?
0: Call up your, your good friend Robin Walker. Tell, ask him for a, for a waiver.
1: <laughs> Robin Walker, if you're listening, I mean, uh, I don't know. I've, all the steam reps I've talked I don't know. Yeah. I probably shouldn't get into it. No, in no, but I mean, it's, it's bodies, hard, right?
0: I mean, there, there's so many hard. different pressures that everybody involved yes. is is working under. Like, hardly anybody has full freedom, I feel like, to just be like, yes, no, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I yeah I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's complicated,
0: but um, it, it, it it can be complicated, and there could also be a more right thing to do. But that doesn't mean yeah, it if easy. they were yeah.
1: going to figure something out, you know, if they were working towards it, if there was some progress towards having more certainty about all this, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, but there's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Twitch will never tell me why they banned a certain game. Right.
0: Well, you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> you're you're Thank you're you. like hoeing a hard road to actually some like, Lord somewhere. Yeah, yeah, the the <laughs> the Lord of worthwhile, interesting content being made for an audience that actually needs it, even if the platforms make it harder for those people to actually get to it and share it. But yeah. I mean, the fact that the work's getting made is is important, and you know, you I, I feel like you have the. Uh, the fortitude to deal with the with the the, the sure. challenges of it as an individual. You're you're not you're not the giving up type. So, <laughs> and I have this academic job. I can
1: just right keep exactly pumping the gay sex out, and <laughs> they'll never and they and then there's no profit motive in it for right. me really. So I can just keep doing
0: it. Are all of your games free except for like pay what you want, like tipping or yeah? Like?
1: They're all pay what you want.
0: Just yeah. Cause and does is that do you feel like that's to what do. you're gonna do forever? Are you ever thinking of trying to make, like, a commercial game that you have to pay money uh, I
1: think, so. I don't, I don't want to do, do accounting. That's kind of the hard yeah. part. I think if I had a company and I could help, like, spread that work out. But I don't, I, I like, I, like, in like a lot collaborators. I don't want to yeah. have to, like, calculate the royalties for oh. the music I'm using Okay. Um, I mean, that's part of it, but it's also, like, I don't like the business part of indie games business. Right. And some people love that and more yeah. power to them, but yeah. that's not why I got into it. Yeah. And I feel like I wouldn't make enough money to justify all the
0: work it would take. Doesn't take much. Wouldn't take you much. It wouldn't cost very much for you to just hire like an hourly like CPA to to help with the numbers a couple a couple hours a month or something. I guess. I don't know. But and hmm. re- regardless, I I should. like you're 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 an NYU professor, you have a salary. The the money from any particular game, I assume, is really not the point. It's more about getting the work out yeah. there and, and engaging with the audience that that is looking for it. I also wouldn't want the story of these games to be about the sales,
1: right? Because that's what a lot of game. That's like what we end up talking about a lot yeah. of the time, and it yeah. feels so
0: reductive. Yeah. Then, no, that's true. Um, I mean, yeah. you're you're in a you're in a a. Fortunate position to basically very give, fortunate to, to be able to make the stuff and for it I'm not to blessed. be about I am how many people are going to buy it. It's like those things can be divorced in a way that is like really good for the work in a case like this. So
1: I guess it is it is fate for me to, that some deity is <laughs> urging me to do this. It's my mission. The Lord of Gay Gaming. The Lord of Gay Gaming. You. Madonna. I don't know who that would be. <laughs> no, she's still alive.
0: She can, mm. she can she can be a Lord. Isn't her isn't her daughter's name Lord? <laughs> Wait, you are talking about the musician Lord from no. New Zealand? No, no, I think that Madonna's daughter is
1: also named Lord. Oh, it's not like Apple or something. No, it's or, Lord. I think so.
0: If you're listening, that would make to, sense. If you're listening to this, uh, and you know what Madonna.
1: I don't <laughs> even know Madonna's. I'm such a bad gay. I don't <laughs> even know Madonna's child's name. <laughs>
0: We'll Google it right after this. Thank you for your time today, Robert. It's been really super interesting talking about this stuff with you and uh, Hope you have a great rest of your GDC. Yeah, you too. Thanks for talking with me. Absolutely